Welcome to the Michelle Meow Show, your A through Z, covering the LGBT, LMNOP, and everyone in between. Happy Pride Month. We're here. Uh, it's the second Thursday of the Pride Month. Mm-hmm. Took a, a week off. It was way just too hot, I guess. Um, so I've come back to life from being burnt <laughs> and, uh-huh. and and heated. Um, but look at us complain about the heat when everyone else uh, in the country or other people have felt it before. And, and, and in the Bay, we get it maybe like, I don't know, a week out of, of, of the year or such babies. Um, but happy Pride Month. So excited and happy to be here at the Commonwealth Club with my co-host, John Zipper. We do this every Thursday. Our guest today is a legend, and, and, and legend is a big word, but yes, um, they have performed with the legendary Coquettes. Uh, so for many of you who remember the era and time uh, in San Francisco when things were way, way, way cooler and fun, <laughs> then you remember the Coquettes, the gender-bending, super uber-queer, provocative, counterculture performers. Uh, but she's also a legend and a trans fixture in the LGBTQ and queer uh, historical community, I should say history, in San Francisco. Had frequented uh, Compton's Cafeteria, uh, one of the writers of Compton's Cafeteria Riot, the play produced by Tenderloin Museum, mm-hmm. and this year's Lifetime Achievement Award recipient from San Francisco Pride Let's welcome Donna Persona. Donna, thanks so much for being here. Thank you for having me here today. The legend. Yes, and that, uh, that carries some heaviness to it, maybe. And uh, I used to think, or lightheartedly say, you've got to be old for that. But uh, I've stepped away from that. But I love my age, too. Yeah. yeah. I'm, I'm 72 years old, and I'll be 73 in August, mm-hmm. and uh, I'm living the best interpretation of my life. I love yes. that. I love that. And I want to get that message across to people. Yeah, and, and we're going to do that this entire hour. We're, we're going to talk about Donna and your journey. Uh, so it is tradition on the program where we talk about, you know, coming out and all that stuff. I, I love your journey in a, in a lot of ways. Uh, you're one of the few uh, especially in San Francisco LGBTQ history, who has been here for new, you know, over six decades. You yes. came from San Jose in a Greyhound bus. That's right. Uh, and you, as yourself, and even you know, saying it to the Chronicle and the Examiner, it wasn't like you were like, I'm trans, I'm hopping on a bus, and I'm going to San Francisco to live my life as a trans woman. You came to San Francisco to live your life. Yes, I did. I, I came here to discover... Uh, like-minded or people, or to to find somebody that uh, I could relate to, and hopefully uh, establish a life with. To know, uh, among other things, to to know that I was not the only one in the universe. I, I say that too. That I I come from my own universe, singularly, because from from birth on, I had. Secrets, you know, I, and I, I kind of understand, or I think that every single person has secrets, but uh, I, I felt that way. And, and you know, I, I come from an adoring biological family. Uh, uh, they love me. I love them. And uh, so, so, uh, but 
uh, one time in my own home, uh, I, I went to, uh, we had a library at, at our home, and uh, a bookshelf and library, and I, I, I picked up this big red book, hardbound, and it was m- a medical book. And I opened it up, and uh, on one side was this uh, uh, black and white photo of a woman with breast cancer, and they showed that. Then on the other side was about uh, homosexuality. And, uh, you know, I, I didn't even know that word then, because there was no institutions uh, or anywhere to find out about this. But I, I kept reading, and it, 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 there was nothing nice about it. It said that uh, there was, I don't know if the word was aversion, but there, there was techniques to, to uh, cure you of this. And there, there was, um, <clears throat> uh, it was best to have these people who, are, who were singled out with this uh, to, to be institutionalized. Mm-hmm. Take them away from their families, and uh, you know how, find uh, a, a cure for them or uh, take care of them. So in that moment, I'm never going to share this with my parents or my sisters and brothers. Uh, if I do that, that's the uh, I'll be out of here. I love my family. Uh, I can't do that. So I got the message early on that. Uh, I was not supposed to be here. It was something bad. Mm. And, and so uh, that, that was the first thing. And, and uh, you know, uh, I, I went to school in, in San Jose, and, uh, you know, I was thinking about this last night. During my entire education, uh, elementary school, middle school, high school, um, the, the schools had me see mental people. And, you know, they didn't discuss it with each other, I don't think. I don't know. But uh, in grammar school, I remember taking, being taken into a room that uh, looked like egg crates or something on the walls, and uh, they had me look at ink blots. And they'd say, what do you see here? Mm-hmm. You know, I didn't know what was going on. And uh, mm-hmm. same thing, uh, in junior high, I was taken, uh, singled out, brought to a place and uh, evaluated. And, and then in high school, it, it, it escalated. Uh, they had me see a psychiatrist in high school. Uh, and, uh, you know, through, through these times, I never told. I never told any of these uh, institutions, these people. I had it in my mind that uh, if I let this be known... You know, that would be the end for me. Mm-hmm. So, uh, yeah, like that. So uh, I wanted to uh, find, come to San Francisco. See, uh, my f- father, I come from a uh, Baptist family. My father was a Baptist minister. And uh, m- uh, sometimes he would uh, preach. He'd come to San Francisco to substitute preach. And so the whole family would go. And I'm remembering this. Uh, I'd look out the windows of the car, and you know, we'd go to the corner store and get uh, shrimp that's, uh, uh, what do you call it, smoked shrimp. 
But I saw these people that looked like guys, <laughs> and uh, they had their, uh, it was daytime, and they had their eyebrows arched. I thought, uh-huh, something's going on. <laughs> so, I mean, <laughs> that, that, was, that was a hint, like, wow. So, so I hung on to that, and I thought, oh, okay, someday... I'll, I'll come when I'm not going to church mm. and, and uh, <laughs> uh, find my own religion. <laughs> yes, yeah, so I was born again. Mm. No, but uh, I... <clears throat> so uh, when I was 17, 18, uh, I, I um, told my parents, uh, you know, I'll make this up, because, you know, this was 60 years ago or so. Uh, I, I told my parents I was going to go to a... Uh, uh, um, men's boys' night at church, you know, on a Friday night, and so uh, I'll be back later. And uh, I, I I got onto a Greyhound bus and I, I came to San Francisco, and um, I, I I wandered around. I, I was uh, eighteen, seventeen, eighteen, nineteen, and I I, uh, I didn't go to a bar, but uh, you know there was no such thing. As uh, bars, mm-hmm. uh, I mean, I found out later that they were covert. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, back then, like it's impossible for people to understand this, but everything was undercover, everything was a secret, and if you ever found out about these things, it was like, hey, if uh, like anything in the fairy world, you go to this alley and you see this sign, and you go to the door and you say a certain thing, and maybe they'll let you in. So that's what it was like. And so uh, this is another memory, and I hang on to this. I I walked along Market Street, and, uh, you know, it was after hours, and uh, I saw these, uh, I'm going to say, good-looking, young, Caucasian guys, and they were all wearing uh, 501 jeans and a white Mm T-shirt. And there was just one one guy all by himself in in front of a a storefront, and the store was closed. I thought, wow, these guys aren't very social, you know. Uh, I wonder what, you know, what's going on. And, you know, I I didn't approach them or anything, but I found out later that they were male hustlers. Mm. They were hustlers. And, you know, like, uh, I didn't have any money, and I didn't want to... by their services. No, I'm joking. I, 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 I left there, and I just kept wandering around, and I, uh, I found uh, the Tenderloin, and I came upon Gene uh, Compton's cafeteria, and uh, it, it was an all-night diner, and you didn't have to be 21, and anyone could go in. So I, I went in. But, you know, one of the things that drew me there was... Uh, I saw on the corners there these absolutely beautiful, beautiful women that were just as glamorous as can be and alluring and, I don't know, eye-catching. And uh, I discovered that they were biologically born men. So, you know, I don't know. I think everyone has that memory of the first time that they saw that and discovered that. That was a big discovery for me. I didn't even know anything like that existed. Mm. But so I, I, I go into the diner, 
and I, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm mixed and, and I kind of uh, sat with them and uh, I started to get to know them. And, and so uh, what informs my knowledge of my first introduction to transgender uh, life was these ladies. And I'm here to tell you they were wonderful people. They were wonderful people. John? I didn't want to interrupt that, but I mean... Oh, no, I'm uh, sorry. I talk a lot. No, no, no. That was, that was great. <laughs> uh, Father, Baptist, minister, uh, you go to San Francisco, you have this experience. At what point, and how does he react, and your mom, when they find out you didn't go to a church, <laughs> boys' night out, but you... Uh, they didn't find out. They didn't find out, you know, like how I justify that or uh, I come from, uh, I have uh, 14 siblings. Oh, wow. And we were, uh, we are of Mexican heritage and uh, my mother was busy. My mother was busy. And and my father was, uh, you know, being Hispanic, I'm Mexican heritage, born in Texas. But, but... uh, yeah, my, my mother was very busy, and she couldn't keep track of everything that went on. And uh, so, no, she didn't find out. And, and, and I kept doing this, so, to answer that question. Yeah. So, you know, I have a lot of questions. Now, in 2019, there's so many words to describe different identities uh, as far as our sexual orientation, gender identity, and the entire spectrum, right? Like mm-hmm. it's, an, it's an encyclopedia yeah. from A through Z of identities in our rainbow world. Uh, but back then, I think that there were fewer words, and, 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 but d- the way to identify was absolutely there. You didn't come out as a trans woman, I, I read, um, yes. And correct me if I'm wrong, uh, until <laughs> 59 years old, yes. but had come before, so living as a, a gay man. Um, and at that moment in which you uh, were drawn and attracted to the women at you know, Compton's, I think that was during a time in which words to describe the community were you know, cross-dressers or transsexuals. Um, talk to us about that moment for you and, and, and how important it was um, to, to have this need to identify or, or not, and if it yeah. were just really that easy to blend in with community. Mm-hmm. Okay, well, you know, I'll go back to what I said about being in my own universe. Uh, I don't join groups uh, normally, and uh, I didn't even feel a need to identify identify how how I am and you know uh, uh but I do believe that I was always uh female and you know w- without putting a word to it it was just in uh your the environment and, and my lifestyle and you know I I'm kind of make fun of everything in life because uh, I don't take life too seriously. Uh, uh, um, I, I'm not important. I'm, I'm just one of a billion people. But, but uh, in my own home, the way I knew that I was a girl was uh, 
the, my brothers never wanted me to go anywhere with them. And, you know, they, they didn't take a shower or a bath as often as I did. And, and they, they, they played football and, and wrestling and did, did those kinds of things. And uh, I always just stayed with my sisters and, uh, you know, I did their hair and advised them on dresses, dressing, and uh, I got along with them. And, you know, in my household, m- my parents didn't say, you don't do this. So I was never guided that way in, in my home. So, uh, like, this is a story I like to tell, that uh, how to prove to myself that I'm a girl. Back then it was a girl. Uh, you know, being a Mexican family in San Jose, uh, my parents, my mother had a garden. You know, we were poor, we were told. I'm going to say that in quotation marks, we were poor. So in the backyard, we had chickens and rabbits and a whole garden. And, and once in a while, my mother would tell the boys, if they were at home, uh, or my father, go bring me a chicken. Uh, we're having chicken tonight. <laughs> And uh, um, uh, one time, one time there was no boys at, at home, so my mother said, "Okay, girls, go over there and get one." And so we all ran outside. I went out there, but w- we had a tree stump in the backyard, and uh, the, the, you'd have to run and chase a chicken and get it. Well, there was no way I was going to do that. And uh, so one of my sisters did, and, you know, she put the, the two sisters, you know, one holds the neck and the other one, they put it down there and then someone chopped the head off. And then the chicken runs through the yard, uh, you know, with a, like a chicken with its head cut off. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I was traumatized. I had to go into the house and, and lie down for a while. And, uh, you know, I couldn't sleep that night. No, it was, you know, so like, Sorry. hey, that's not a guy. So, you know, even my sisters were, I'm going to use the word, like butch, mm-hmm. were more manly than I was. So, you know, I, 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 I knew inside that, that I was a, a girl. Mm-hmm. And, and uh, I was fine with that. And, you know, uh, later on, people would ask me, uh, you know, are you a... a a man or a woman, you know, when I was growing up. And, you know, I would say, definitely, yes, I am. <laughs> <laughs> so when did you actually move then to San Francisco? And, and Well, I, I, uh, I came uh, to San Francisco most of my life, mm-hmm. but I didn't really move here until, like, uh, 2000. Oh, really? Mm-hmm. Yeah, 2000. And, you know, to go back to, like, identifying... Uh, the, I had fear, I'm going to say the fear of God because we were Baptist. Uh, I, I didn't want, I didn't have the courage. See, I say this too. The, those ladies that I met at Compton's, they had courageousness. You know, they, they knew what I knew, that they wanted to be who they authentically were. It was not trying, not being rebellious and say, I'm, go- I'm going to uh, be naughty and I'm going to be horrible and I'm going to be uh, 
mentally ill, like they say. No, they wanted to just be who they knew who they were. And, and uh, so they, they attempted that. But uh, I, I didn't have the courage. I didn't have the courage. Let's talk about the Gene Compton's Cafeteria Riot, which uh, I mentioned earlier in your introduction. You're a writer of the play, uh, produced by... Co-writer. Uh, a co-writer. Mm-hmm. Yeah, a couple others. Um, the Tenderloin Museum, and so the... And you had mentioned the Tenderloin really being, you know, neighbor, neighborhood spot uh, yes. for you that felt like home, community. Yes. Uh, but the riot happened in 1966, so many people who didn't live that time will dub it as San Francisco's Stonewall. So that night at the cafeteria in which a police raid happened, um, transgender women fought back. Were you actually there? I know that you visited, you know, mm-hmm. the uh, you hung out there a lot, you mm-hmm. the women. I did, a lot. Uh, no, I was not there that night. And, you know, I'll, I'll say it like this. this. These are the 60s, the mid-60s and on, and it was uh, close to the time of um, the Summer of Love, and so there was a lot of uh, experimentation and hallucinogenics, and I experimented. And uh, so, you know, times are cloudy in my mind about that. And so, uh, you know, my particular story was I, I had a, a, a bad incident uh, I, I got a boyfriend, you know, I, even though I, I never dressed like a woman and, and I didn't wear makeup, I say this too, like when I put fabric on my body, it turned into women's clothes. It really did. And, and back then there was unisex. So, you know, I gravitated. But, you know, I, was, uh, I, I went to, a, it had to be a men's store, a cable car, clothes the air, or the All-American Boy, uh, I wouldn't go. But, you know, recently my, one of my nieces said, uh, you used to borrow my clothes. I said, oh, okay. <laughs> and she's a, she's a woman. But, um, oh, no, I lost track. What, uh, Gene, Gene Compton's cafeteria. Gene Compton's. Right? Your story. Uh, yeah, no, uh, I, I, I got a, a boyfriend. You know, that's a girly thing, too. I, I, I had a boyfriend that I met there, and... Uh, he was a Caucasian guy. He, he, he really looked like, a, I, I mentioned the All-American. He was All-American looking. And he had a car. And, you know, he and I, I would sit right next to him. That, you know, they didn't have bucket seats then. And, uh, you know, I was in love with my life. You know, here I am. I've got a boyfriend. This is the life. And, uh, but one day, we're driving around the Tenderloin, and his car got shot up, shot at. And... and uh, Neither one of us got hit with bullets, but uh, I, I broke up with him later that night. No, I, 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 soon after that, and I, I, I thought, this is too dangerous for me. Uh, so I made the decision to step away from that and go like join the coquettes and, and the hippie thing. Mm. But to get back to the riot and, and co-writing the play... Um, the play is composed of uh, stories, and every story in the play is a true story. And it really happened. Everything really happened. But there are my personal stories, and there are Colette Legrand's personal stories. 
So we blended like, and and stories, and the stories that I chose were of the stories that the girls told me while I was going there. And some of these girls, and I know them, one of them now, that there's only one that's alive now that I know of. And, and, uh, Alicia Flames? Hmm? Which uh, one? Um, um, Tamara Chen. Tamara Chen. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, so uh, these stories that I remember, some of them are in the play. And then, you know, I, I, I uh, put some of my personal stories to things that happened to me. And, and um, so, so, and, and uh, then the three of us, we did uh, research, a lot of research. And, we, and we, we, we put it together. We crafted this thing. And I'm going to say, it's, uh, I, I think it's a very, very w- a wonderful, wonderful story. It has everything that uh, that is required. It, it, it has facts, uh, the truth, uh, and and it's entertaining too. And you know, like I, I think we were pretty smart about how we did this as uh, writers. We let's take we're going to take this audience on a journey from the beginning to the end. And so first we thought about uh, the emotional and, and the intellectual the journey they're going to take. And, and so, you know, like the, the, we, we were called uh, heavy hitters. You know, the, the stories that, that I know and Colette know are not pretty stories. So, you know, we, we, we knew, we decided that we can't, uh, the, our audience can't sustain horror and terror uh, for a long period. So, so we would break it up with uh, humor and, and music. But it, it's thematic. Uh, the, the girls, the ladies that I knew, you know, this as human beings, this is my own belief, one cannot sustain, uh, continually sustain uh, horror in your mind and in your body. So uh, you gotta have some fun. So 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 that's what, and I'm gonna say we did uh, when we were all in, at, at the cafe at, at the diner. We would have fun. We would have fun, and and, and uh, so that comes into the play, and, and uh, it lightens things up in mm-hmm. in between the terrible stories. John, you mentioned the cockettes, so. Mm-hmm. Tell us how you got involved in that. And, and oh, okay. Well, that uh, uh, I kind of turned into a hippie, you know, a- after being going to uh, Compton's cafeteria, mm-hmm. and uh, I, uh, I I met a man, Jim Paltridge, and he he uh, he was the turned out he was the producer of a movie called uh, Elevator Girls in Bondage. Nice title, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, and you know, it's it's not, it's not. It sounds like a porn story, and it's not. It, it, it was about uh, women's liberation and uh, a labor story of, of women trying to get earn, earn, earn better working conditions. Really, with a lot of nudity and <laughs> drug taking and stuff. But uh, I. Uh, 
I was having an affair with this uh, Jim Paltridge, who is the executive producer of the film, and uh, he he introduced me to to the Cockettes, uh, Rumi Missable, uh, all all of them, and, and uh, uh, so I, I I was with him all the time. Actually, like this, I was one of my first experiences as a homewrecker or whatever. Like it turned out he was married, you know, to a guy. They didn't get really married then. But but uh, I, I was with him, and, and um, so he, he uh, introduced me to the Cockettes, and he, he kept saying to me, don't you want to be in this movie? Don't you want to be in this movie? And uh, I, I didn't. You know, it, it took me... No, I didn't. Uh, 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 well, you know, my parents might see this or whatever. I, <laughs> I, I was filled with uh, reluctance about everything back then, you know, my whole life. Uh, and, and no, I, I was shy too, and scared of all that. But uh, he he kept on and kept on, and finally he tricked me into it. And uh, but now, if I had it to draw, do over again, I'd say I want to star in this film. <laughs> 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 so um, that's how I met the Cockettes, and uh, I, I'm still with them. Mm-hmm. You know, we we dropped off. You know, it's the same thing like with Compton's experience. Uh, everything ended, and, and then you know, forty some years later, I, I find out uh, David Weissman mm-hmm. made the documentary, and I started see- reading about that in the Chronicle, and then that that brought me back with them. Mm-hmm. But you know, they they were uh, as you say legendary, and, and they kind of. Uh, 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 along with the transgender women at Compton's, you know, I want to say this: they they wrote the blueprint for what uh, today the transgender community their needs, what mm. they're going to need. They they wrote the blueprint. In other words, they they needed uh, medical procedures and, and medical help. They needed mental health. They needed housing, employment, and protection from, from uh, those who would perpetrate evil on them, which was everybody, everybody, and, and, and meaning the police. You know, you could do, one could do anything to a transgender woman, and there was no repercussion from it. Nobody cared. And, and so they wrote the blueprint for that. And uh, the, the Coquettes kind of wrote the blueprint for be who you want to be, do it your way, have a beard. Uh, and, you know, they made a point of showing their genitals. You know, they, they would wear these ballerina clothes that were see-through. And, or if they didn't, they would throw their dresses up, like, this is me. And so, you know, that was in the 70s. So the Comptons is the 60s, 70s. There's so much I want to talk to you about, and I can't believe we've already blown through 30 minutes. And oh, I, I've got I, to leave I'm some sorry. time for our, our audience, yeah, um, to ask you questions. Yeah, but, so you know, I'll do uh, one sentence. I, I mean, <laughs> there's a lot of what I wanted to talk to you about. Was just, I mean, you don't have two, three decades worth of 
of history on you. I mean, we've, we're talking six decades and more um, through, yes, Compton's Cafeteria Right, the Coquettes, Harvey Milk, yes. uh, Liberation Movement. Uh, AIDS. I'll just start with, yeah, HIV, AIDS, uh, marriage equality, um, now yes. Donald Trump. Yeah. Um, but I'll, I'll start with this. You know, you're receiving the Lifetime Achievement Award from, mm-hmm. from San Francisco Pride. It's the 50th anniversary of the Stonewall Riot. Uh, it's, uh, San Francisco pride will turn 50 next year and lots Mm -hmm. of milestones in. And so, you know, (laughs) there was one thing I read in in the newspaper in which you kind of miss all the, the fun in the seventies is the, the secrecy, uh, being rebellious, being at a place in which you're breaking barriers and opening doors. Um, are we, do you think, are we boring now in, in 2019? I mean, just everything that you've seen through through history. What are your feelings and your thoughts? And, and now, and now, receiving this this lifetime achievement award. Uh, no, I don't think anything is boring. Uh, but I will say, like you know, sometimes I get people upset with me. I think when I say this, I kind of uh, shunned pride the parade and pride celebration for years. I shunned it because uh, it seemed like just a fun time, party, get drunk. And uh, I didn't connect with that. I didn't connect with that. Like, uh, it, it was not about what achievements we had made for a while. I mean, that's the way I saw it. And, and so I, I, I wasn't involved with it. And, and but um, <clears throat> and you know um, to go back to my personal story, uh, and this connects with being a woman and being in in the spectrum of, of the LGBTQ. Uh, I was a persona non grata, always. Like like, uh, and sometimes on a bad day, I'll say, I don't have to look out of my own community to find scorn and whatever, and happiness in me. You know, I, I was, uh, I was a, the, you would, we were talking about terms. Uh, some of the first terms I learned were uh, flaming faggot, uh, flaming queen, um, um, screaming queen. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I was told, personally told, you're bad for our club. You're bad for our club because uh, uh, we pass. You pass for what? Uh, For heterosexual. Oh, well, you know, that's not what I am. Mm. Uh, Oh, lucky you, you pass. But, you know, I kind of understand that now. Uh, This was in high school. Mm -hmm. Uh, um, You know, this one guy, you know, later I saw him in a club, and he wanted to take me home. I said, oh, you know, you threw spitballs at me before, and, you know, that would, you, you taunted me, but now you want me at home? No, thank you. But, but you know, he said, look, I, I got to play football in high school and this and that. And so when he did this to me, that made him more acceptable. He was straighter uh, in, in his mind or whatever in the group. So, you know, that, that's tough to take. All your life, you're here, 
I was hearing, uh, you don't belong here. I don't know. The ultimate was, you'd be better off dead. So, you know, that was in my own community. So, uh, you know, I, I, yeah, I, I didn't stay close to them. Mm-hmm. But, you know, the, the, the uh, transgender women from Compton's had an, their, 100% of their experience was like that, uh, of rejection. And, and you know, you, if, when you see the play, you, you know the stories. Uh, they, they were, uh, I, I never say runaway. They were throwaways. They were kicked out. And like uh, some of them were 15 years old, and this is in the 60s, and uh, they were forced to leave their home. And you know, like I, I, I think to go to go back to what anything goes when it's people like me. You can do anything. Anyone can do anything to people like me, and nobody gives a hoot, and there's no consequence. Uh, these young girls, I'm going to say that were made to leave home, uh, you know, if that happens now or back then, you know, someone would take the parents to court. Like, you cannot let your child leave. So I'm saying that the powers that be said, oh, well, you know, she she was rebellious, you know, look, look at what that person was trying to do. So uh, they ran away, and we can't find them or whatever. So, so um, that, was, that was what was going on for the transgender people that I met. And in many ways, it still continues, I mean, till this day. Oh, yes. No, and, and it's, it's, it's horrific. It's horrific. And, and uh, um, you know, why is that still happening? And I, I, I think it's the same thing. I think it's the same thing when, when you're a person of color, uh, nobody cares. I mean, uh, uh, just recently, um, Marisha uh, Booker um, was murdered in, in Texas. And uh, <clears throat> she, she was beat up. You know, it, it went, her story went viral because people uh, videotaped her getting beat up. And, and uh, one week later, she's dead. Mm-hmm. And, and what I read was uh, that nobody was going to charge anybody with anything because there was no evidence. Now, the, the, the man who beat her on, on, and videotaped, uh, he received 200 bucks to beat her up. And uh, she spoke out against that. Or, you know, she, she spoke about it. And uh, he, he went to jail, and he was out in a week. You know, he, he, he beat her up, kicked her in the head and the face, and he did one week of time in jail. And uh, the day after he's released, she's dead. And the police department in Dallas said uh, there is no connection between her death and this man. So we're not pressing charges and still hasn't happened. So what I'm saying is it still goes in 2019. Mm -hmm. Do whatever you want to them. It's okay. We'll look the other way. We don't care. That's not okay. (laughs) 
Um, no, it's that's not obviously okay. It's not, not okay. okay with me. Yeah. We're going to open it up to the audience now to ask Donna questions, and then, then we'll come back to us. Really great to hear you speaking, Donna. Um, and uh, my name's Lars, um, Lars Kalman. Uh, Native Americans uh, talk about wingte spirits and wingte shaman as, as people who live on the outside mm -hmm. of society. And and and, yes. um, and I'm wondering. Uh, well, my question is about conflict, conflict resolution within our community, within our broad queer community when we have these giant conflicts, you know, with, with the Trump White House, with the um, climate crisis and, and weapons of mass destruction, how do you, how do you approach conflict resolution? You, you, you appear to me to be a, a self-actualized, self-realized uh, being at this point. Mm -hmm. how, do you, how do you approach conflicts within yourself and, and within, within your community as, as, a, as a type of shaman? Well, you know, in my regard, I'm glad you brought that up. Uh, you know, uh, not only should transgender pe people, uh, my personal experience is, we're better than the rest. No, um, <clears throat> no, we 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 include we're, we're uh, shapeshifters, we're we're multiple spirits. You know, we can understand the male. We have more understanding. Uh, of what it is to 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 live in a community of different genders, and uh, you know that's pretty special. And I, I wish all my life uh, we, we were considered special instead of uh, you need a lobotomy. Uh, and so, how I um, me personally, uh, somehow or other, like when I say that I from my own universe. And, and because of the uh, wonderful family that I come from, I never engaged in the idea that there was something wrong with me. Never. And uh, I have um, extreme self-confidence. And I'm going to say, I'm a very high achiever. You know, uh, I, I've uh, graduated from college. Uh, uh, I ran, managed, owned my own business. Uh, I've recreated myself. Uh, oh, yeah, I'm a fine arts photographer. I've had 18 professional exhibitions. I have exhibited in New York City. I have performed on Lincoln Center in New York City. Uh, I have nothing to prove to people. And, uh, but I'll say this, it leads me to this. In my community... You know, I got to be, like, uh, better than everyone else in order to be accepted by them. No, no, see, it, it drives you to, I, I got to conquer the world, and maybe somebody will pay attention to me, or let me be. I just want to be, you know, just let me be. Yeah. Thank you. Um, hi, my name is Earl Paus, and um, my my question is pretty much about um, uh, Michelle. You were saying, or you said this word "boring" about this like queer community, especially in San Francisco, and how we're seeing a lot of the artists, specifically the queer artists, being moved out to Oakland and in other different areas. And um, 
Uh, Donna, you also um, talked about the cafeteria riots and being part of the the coquettes. And so my my question is pretty much like, how can like young queers now that live in San Francisco um, stand out in a way that is like 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 you did, like the coquettes did in, in this extreme way that isn't as violent as um, something like Stonewall or like the cafeteria riots, because I feel like our world right now is in such like this violent, rageful, like emotionally charged um, force of momentum that I always think of like, how can we prevent something like like cafeteria riots happening again in 2019, especially since since violence against trans people are still just as relevant as it was then. Mm-hmm. Um, what 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 are ways um, that we as a community can really kind of bond together with POC queers and all like trans the the queer community? Like, how can we make a positive impact that would help? the younger queers kind of li- live in a more safer um, place? This question goes to, to all, all three of you, I guess. Thank you. Yeah, thank you. Okay, well, I, I would say, uh, this is what I say to, to people, you know, like I, I'm very busy and, and I'm out there all the time and I'm, you know, uh, I, I don't care what peop- whether the people like me or, you know, I'm going to do what I'm going to do. And uh, and uh, but uh, not everybody is out there like I am, and and, and I respect that. So I, I tell anyone that's younger than me, and that's everyone. Uh, I say, uh, present, you know, just presenting with confidence wherever you are, and uh, that that's an act of uh, courageousness and, and activism. And so put yourself out there and, and uh, leave the shame at home. There's nothing to be ashamed of. So that's one way. But, you know, uh, I, I love the theme of pride this year, generations of resistance. Uh, I would say to young people, try to find out about what happened yesterday. Uh, um, <clears throat> Uh, and uh, because you stand on the shoulders of those who came before you. So, uh, and you know, if we're trying to be normal, if we're normal, normal people listen to their grandmother and grandfather. And so do that. Find out what they went through and and, uh, spread that and, and learn from that. And, and uh, don't, like, like uh, during the, the, the run of our play, uh, we had a group, and I guess I shouldn't name them, but uh, they, they were queer, and uh, they, they wanted to protest, you know, and, and they, they, they said to me, they said, um, your stories uh, are, are uncomfortable. They, they, they don't uh, give me comfort. And, you know, I... You know, I had to say, uh, well, this story is not about being comfortable. It, it, it's a tough thing, and, and uh, actually, we kept it clean. Uh, we really, we really did. And, and so, you know, 
that that was opposing. You know, that's the queer culture of youth, and, and uh, I hope I got through to them. But I, I think I did because I, I I met with one of them later, and she had not. They had nothing. You know, they said I really like this play and blah blah. They they were coming to uh, workshops and. You know, you know. Sometimes I think people just want to uh, oppose you just to oppose you, but I think they were doing that without being totally informed about everything that we were trying to do. So I would say, have less of that, if at all possible. Hmm. I'll add something. You know, very quick. I, I think that we live in a very interesting. Um, time if you consider yourself youth and millennial and lgbtq and have other identities layered onto you in which you're feeling the impact and the trauma and the pain from generations before you who were oppressed in those various identities i think it's now time for us when we say you know we're woke like we understand what that actually really means and that translates into practice and for me, that's the reprioritization of our most marginalized in our community. That means they're obviously, after 50-some years of liberation, um, some of us are going to move out of the oppressed times and being able to, to be free in, in identity and have privilege. So it's okay to have privileges. We just have to own up to it. We have to acknowledge it. And, and then by helping the others, you're seeing, you know, a trans woman who's now 70, turning 73 this year still talk about violent deaths that occur within her community, and she's continuing to fight for her identity and her life. How are you, how are you going to stop that? And the only way that you can is you've got to give us the basic tools that that specific community needs, the ability to live, the basic necessities of housing, healthcare, jobs, security, mm -hmm. protection, yes, financial protection, building that and sustaining that. And it's not just this movement in which where some of us gain the privileges and then it's like, okay, well, you're on your own. So there's still a lot of work to be done. And it's interesting where I, I feel, I hope in the next 50 years as we're, we're celebrating 50 years of Stonewall, that that next 50 years, we really get deep dive, you know, very deep down into the reason why we had the liberation movement and spend the next 50 years freeing trans women. Because if trans women, especially black trans women, are free, then that would probably mean a good majority of us are free and equal. Yes. And, and I would add to that, wherever possible, like, like uh, I'm going to say me, I I never I don't only think about me. I think about you too. And, and uh I I would ask the the my community do something for somebody else. Yes. 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 I'm saying buy tickets to, you know, the uh trans woman who's putting on an art exhibit or yes. yeah, uh, putting on a a play or producers who's doing documentaries, um throw money mm -hmm. and, you know, into their GoFundMe's and I'll I'll end there cuz I feel like there's a couple voices in the audience who are, who want to add on to that or have a question. You have a, you have a question? I got Hi. My name is Suzanne Ford. I'm also a trans woman and like you I transitioned late. I was 48 when I came out, and mm -hmm. so I lived all those years hiding. And I know how powerful it was for me to finally 
be me after all those years. And I'd like to hear more about what led up to you coming out and talk about the power of, of finally, fully, 100% being you in front of the world. Uh, okay. Uh, I, um, <clears throat> you know, as I mentioned before, I was 59 years old. And really and truly, it was like, uh, uh, I, I call it, I told another agency, Little Murders. You know, now they, they, they call it uh, microaggressions. Like, uh, I got maybe a million of those, you know, by the time I was 59. And they all wound a little bit, each one. Why do you shake your ass when you walk? Uh, because I was trying to get to the ice cream parlor, or whatever. <laughs> you, know, uh, I, I, you know, and I would say, it's not a plan because uh, people like you talk to me like that. No, I, I don't invite that. So, uh, no, uh, so those million little murders kept me from being who I really was. I mean, I, I was always happy this, uh, and like that, but I had friends that, that, that got chased around and beat up that, that, that went to clubs as a woman. So, you know, I just wasn't going to do it. But but uh, uh, I finally, with the Cockettes, uh, uh, I was with them for a couple of years after I reunited, and, and uh, Rumi Misabu was doing uh, uh, salon shows and, and with, with entertainment. And, and uh, they, they kept saying, you know, have you ever thought about this? Have you ever thought about this? And I said, no, no, no. But after two years... I donned a dress, and uh, I was reborn. Mm. Uh, uh, you know, it, it, uh, I never took one off yet, and after that I never took it off. Uh, no, it was just like the best feeling. It's says, wow, I'm really at home now. And, uh, so, uh, and then I was in a climate where it was like totally uh, acceptable, and I, I, I felt like I was going to get to stay alive. And, and so that, that, that's how. And, and uh, now I, I just uh, I really feel like this is the, the, the truest self. But I also want to add, like when people, I don't like to self-identify so much because that means, can I not be something else tomorrow? You know, like, I believe every single person is transgender. Every single person. Because you're not the same person you were yesterday. And, you know, like, I don't want anyone to put limits on me. So I'll say, this is who I am today, but I don't know about tomorrow. Well, you smell nice, too. Uh, Just want to let you know. (laughs) Well, I'm a natural woman. (laughs) We have another question. Hi, Donna. Katie Connery here from the Tenderloin Museum. You have an art show opening tonight at the Tenderloin Museum from 6 to 9. Yay. Uh, would you like to tell us more about that project? Oh, yes, I would love to. Uh, I, I was um, invited by a, 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 an oil painter, Thomasina DeMeo, uh, six, eight months ago. She, she had an idea to... to uh, bring validation uh, and visibility to the transgender community. So, uh, but she, she doesn't know transgender people. So I, I got uh, 
over 30 of them. And, and uh, my idea for this was uh, that um, traditionally, historically, uh, oil paintings, portraits of people are reserved for kings and queens, heads of state, uh, you know, the uh, military personnel that are high, high up, those who, scientists and stuff. And in my story, uh, transgender people are every bit as special and valid as all of those that I mentioned. And so I wanted to do that. And and, uh, by doing that, like each person, each session was was, um, an experience that few people on the planet ever get. And it was like a giant dose of validation. But beyond that, like, we adore you. You are beautiful. You are everything. And, um, you know, they would say, I've never... And this is a, a a first for me. And so, oh, I'm sorry to hear you say that. You know, you you, you should have all the firsts. You you are most special. So you know that in itself was a fabulous thing. So now to share that and have people come to see that, it 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 pads the the um, validation visibility and. Um, you know how wonderful, mm-hmm. Suzanne, that you are. Yes, and in this exhibition, we this was another thoughtful thing. Everything I do is thoughtful, I believe. Uh, I wanted to show the, the entire spectrum. So we have very high achievers, as, as Suzanne Ford is. She's a, a member of the Pride Committee. But we have people who, who, who work at City Hall, uh, we have an engineer, uh, and, and then we also have um, uh, people who who came to uh, America, came to San Francisco for sanctuary. You know, they 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 in this case they're from southern Amer- uh, South American countries where they were afraid to be they were going to be murdered. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and then uh, we have some sex workers, and then like to to talk about boring. We have some people that are just <laughs> being. <laughs> because I, those people I'm, are valid also. <laughs> I'm glad, I'm glad our, our audience member who answered the question caught on to my uh, uh, you know, very cynical com- comment because I, I am one of those where I'm like, where are we at the arts? And I'm, I'm losing, I wish I was in the 70s. I want to be a warrior and a resistor and all this stuff. But, but I'm learning you know, from amazing... Legends like yourself, mm, you uh, such a that. gift for us here to to take us through your journey and and learning that being LGBTQ every day is a fight. It's a not, it's not just a fight for us, but it's a fight for all of our community and our generations mm-hmm. to come. So we're we've run out of time. But you know, we're, we're going to go back. We're going back sixty years. <laughs> the, the current yeah. administration, we are, is doing that. So I can you know, please let me say this now more than ever. Now more than ever, resist. Yep. Do something. Yes. I, I, my last question is going to be: leave us with with uh, with something. And so you you did resist for all of you here today. So you heard it. Uh, Donna's got an exhibit tonight. So 
we can be a part of, of what we talked about today and what we learned in supporting um, the trans community as well as a legend like Donna by <laughs> participating in, in her exhibit. So if you've got time, do that. Um, we're back next week, and next week we've got two programs. Uh, we're doing a special program in the evening with Unlock and Open House. It'll be a conversation, uh, an intersectional approach to aging and building inclusive communities for the LGBTQ community because it's possible to be Chinese and LGBTQ as it is possible to be uh, Latinx and LGBTQ. And then we have uh, an exit interview with the executive director of San Francisco Pride, who is leaving. And so we've got some stories to share. That's all next week. Uh, and uh, gosh, Go yes. Ahead and announce the Friday one. We'll be making that event live on the 28th. On the 28th, we have a special program. It is the first of our equality series um, brought to you by Salesforce. And we have two incredible voices who are going to talk about changing the. Um, uh, Well, I should put it this way. It's LGBTQ representation in Hollywood and how their work has changed uh, films and projects in Hollywood. And that's Samara Wiley uh, from Orange is the New Black and her wife, Lauren Morelli, who's the producer of Tales of the City. So all that is at commonwealthclub.org slash MMS. I hope to see you this entire Pride Month. And if I don't, happy Pride. Be you, be queer, be awesome, be amazing, or be boring. We'll see you next time. (laughs) And come and see me. Come and see me at the Tenderloin Museum and ask me more questions if you have them tonight. Thanks for joining us for the Michelle Meow Show, your A through Z covering the LGBT, LMNOP, and everyone in between. We're here every Thursday live at the Commonwealth Club. And you can listen to past shows at commonwealthclub.org slash MMS.